0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to First Pres. We are so glad you're here this morning. We have like a new song that we'd like to introduce to you that is a wonderful reminder.
1: First Presbyterian Church, we're here because we believe that when we connect with each other and connect with God, real relationships, we believe that real relationships result in transformation of life that's authentic. That's why we're here. I hope that you will experience some of that real relationship connecting to God and each other and sense transformation in your life in the next hour. And we'd love for you to stay on mission with us as we do this in the city together. That's what we're all about here. That's what we're trying to do at First Presbyterian Church. If you are visiting with us in the room now or online and you're new to First Pres, and if you'd like us to know, we'd love to know that you're with us. We call it a connect card. It's right here on the QR code that you can see. They're also physical here in the church. If you fill it out, it helps us say hello to you. It helps us help you get connected in meaningful ways in the life of the church with people who are serving and connecting in other ways. So fill out a Connect card and let us have it either online or here physically in the building. We'd love to have that happen this morning. When we're together in this room, one of the things we do is pray, and I'm going to mention a couple of people who need prayer, and then I'm going to give all of us a time to pray. We're going to have a little bit more silence than perhaps you're used to. It's really important that we realize that what we're doing in this room is singing and listening and talking, and God is the audience, and God wants us to say yay, and one of the ways that God enjoys our hearts is opening up to Him in prayer. So. I mention a couple of people who need our prayer, Bill, Bill Kohler. Bill Kohler accidentally burned the bottoms of both his feet and it's been very difficult. They're blistered all over the place and so Bill is recovering, but it was a bit kind of scary at first, so we want to remember Bill and we also always remember Jackie. We've we've had these ribbons on our church since the day that she suffered the head injury. We pray for Jackie that she would have encouragement that she would feel the sense of God's presence we pray for her mom and her dad her brother and all of her family so we're going to pray now I've mentioned those two and so you would know what that was about I'm certain that you have things on your heart that you want to address to God so a few minutes in silence all of us together quietly saying here I am God here's my heart let us pray together Gracious God, we know that you pay careful attention to us, loving attention, forgiving attention, and your heart is gladdened when we simply aim ourselves at you and speak to you. It could be, help me, God. It could be, thank you. It could be that simple. We need this. We need to let ourselves be open to you. And that's what prayer is. It's simply addressing you, speaking to you, and then listening. So thank you that we have a chance anytime, but particularly together here in the room and online to quietly aim our hearts at you. And mentioning the two that I mentioned by name, there are others, gracious God, families who are struggling, people who are sad, people who are celebrating. Thank you that you can't wait to hear from us. We know, gracious God, that when we connect in a real way with you, real transformation takes place. And that's one of the main reasons we're gathered together today. Help us celebrate. Help us to sense challenge as we go forward in faith. Help us to connect with you and each other. All of this because of Jesus who lived and who died and who lived again. Who makes us over again in a new people. It's in his name that we do all that we do this morning. Amen. Friends, just a couple of things I want to make sure you know about. We call them first press happenings. The first is, the first 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 press happening is next week we're starting a new sermon series it's called built there's a pun there because there are things getting built physically in the life of our church but this is about how to build a life that will last where things like foundation and blueprint etc that's what we're going to be talking about and that's going to be a lot of fun wanted you to be aware of that so that starts next sunday also secondly for some fun we're going to see the rays play the, the ball the first pitch 105 p.m on sunday august 22nd if you can sign up by the end of two weeks from today, August 8th. That's the way you can get the tickets. It's 40 bucks. You can go to our website, click, click, click and take care of it. Pay us and then we'll go and buy the tickets. That makes sense. I hope so. We always also want to remind each other of the way that we've been given a lot by God and we have some cool stuff for you this morning. When we, when we are building our lives in faith, we're also building a new building and rehabbing a building. So what we have for you is two pictures of the renovation that's going on over at 3302 Horatio. So what you see here, now go back to the first one please. And stay there just a sec. This is a a picture of the rooms that are being built out, what we call life groups. When people meet together on purpose in groups, we call them life groups. This is a part of what's happening for children for their group meetings. So when they're together in five-year-olds or nine-year-olds or whatever, however they're divided up, that's what that is. The second picture is the the, uh, eastern half of that 6,700 square feet. And this is the next picture. Let's go to the, uh, there we go. This is gonna be the large group room where we'll have music and kids will all be gathered in there. And it's, gonna, it's a big room and it'll be a multi-purpose room as well. I want you to know something, because of your energy, because of your commitment, because of your passion, because of your love, we're gonna be able to do stuff seven days a week in this building. Is that great or what, huh? You, can you get excited with me about that? So we'll use it on Sunday morning with kids screaming and yelling and having a blast like like they do. But guess what? You can use it Sunday afternoon, Saturday morning, Tuesday night, whenever we wanna use it, we'll figure out cool ways to use this building to bless our community. That's what we're gonna be able to do. We're gonna make a difference in the community and people are gonna be able to access our spot. It's gonna be awesome. So. Continuing as you always are, we always let you know there's five ways. Part of what you give is money. You give your time, you give your commitment, you give your passion, but you give money. Here are five ways that you can do that. And you are generous, you're taking good care of First Presbyterian Church's needs. We're also using money to help needs out in the world. We'll just keep doing this together. Keep responding with generosity to the generosity we've experienced in Jesus Christ. That's all I have for you now and Adam and the band are going to lead us as we sing some more music. Remembering we're singing to connect to God singing yay God
2: story has an ending and four weeks ago in my sermon I didn't tell you the ending to our family onward and upward Kilimanjaro climb story in Tanzania, Africa, but our story began right here. This is a picture of all of us. We're at the foot of the mountain. Kilimanjaro is the tallest freestanding mountain in the world. It goes to 19,000 feet. 341 feet. So at this moment, we have actually 19,341 feet to go. Okay? So we're starting, it's a warm climate. We're super excited. We had no idea. Okay? The next picture shows how the story ends for Reed Connor, our son, and Kristen Connor, our daughter in law, married to our other son, Jamie. They summited on Kilimanjaro. So rather than an onward and upward moment, Fitz and I ended up in a story that looked a little bit more backward and downward, okay? So we here we go on Mount Kilimanjaro, every day we're climbing. Part of the deal is that you climb up in altitude to a particular level, and then in order to acclimate, you come back down a little bit and spend the night. Well, my downward spiral began at about 15,000 feet when the terrain looked a whole lot more like Mars. Now, little did I know that you can climb Mount Kilimanjaro five times, and it's not uncommon for two out of the five times to not make it because of the chemical makeup in your body at that time. Well, just before this climb, I had fended off a really bad cold. And even though Fitz was a marathoner and I had run a half marathon that year, we both succumbed to severe altitude sickness. Now, you may remember that our guide, Gabriel, always told us from the first moment, even right at the very beginning of our climb, pole, pole, which means slowly, slowly in Swahili. And he would start us off slowly walking like this. And as we increased in altitude, our steps were to go even more slowly. And four weeks ago, I made you stand up and do it in the pews, and you were so frustrated with me because some of you were like, Like this, I go, oh, no, 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 pole, pole, and I made you go like that. Well, Fitz and I were so sick that I want you to know walking like this was way too fast. And so our guide, Gabriel, kept checking us for pulmonary edema and cerebral edema. Both are deadly little did i know. And we kept trying to walk on, but Gabriel called it and said, "You guys need medical attention. You've got to get off this mountain." It it brings tears to, even talking about it. It was a very emotional decision because we all wanted to summit together. Oh, so all of us just cried. And Fitz and I knew we had at least two days ahead of us to get off that mountain. It would involve climbing over rock faces that we had to navigate and even at times going uphill, which was super frustrating and demoralizing. Well, pre-trip, we had all registered for a helicopter rescue in case anyone needed it for any reason. So Gabriel actually radioed ahead for a helicopter. And so it was foggy, thick pea soup fog. And so as a result, we waited for the helicopter for a couple or more hours, I don't even know how long, in a stranger's hut where at the end of the bed, there was a man cooking on an open fire I was thinking, it smelled terrible, and I was laying on heaven knows what, but I honestly didn't care because I couldn't move. Well, the fog never lifted, and so obviously the helicopter couldn't land, and we realized we were going to have to keep walking. So we headed out the door, walking oh so slowly with two guides that Gabriel sent with us, and as we walked, I have never in my life felt so much pain or felt so weak. It was, it was indescribable. Everything hurt. And I really have a pretty high tolerance for pain. But I will tell you, I kept thinking this bizarre thought that I would rather have five babies, five days in a row, <laughs> than feel what I was feeling, which is so absurd but it was real to me. And as we walked, I will tell you, it felt like a death march. And at one point, I looked at Fitz and said, just leave me on the trail. And and y'all, it is so hysterically funny now, I meant it. Who am I? I meant it. And bizarrely, Fitz As we decreased in altitude, he was feeling better with every step downward, but I was actually getting worse, which we would discover later why, and it had to do with severe dehydration. So I was not getting better. My story sort of ends in a stint in an African hospital that's not typically your first choice, but. There were also some additional backward and downward moments that I'm happy to share with you privately, but I've got to tell you, I actually want to go back and climb Kilimanjaro and summit, okay? And so I asked Fitz, I said, Fitz, will you go with me? Let's do this. Let's climb it again. And Fitz said, that would be a hard no. (laughs) I am never going back on that mountain again. God never leads us backward in our life. But he does expose us to things that we may not desire. Circumstances that feel like you are going backward and downward. Yet the whole time, God is moving you onward, shaping you, molding you moving you closer to him, moving you upward with him into God's bigger story to bless you and bless others through you. Joseph, whose life we have been following for the past few weeks, is on an onward and upward journey that most of the time feels like it's going backward. And downward. I know that many of you would say, yeah, me too. His story starts with a a high point. Joseph is the favored son of his father, Jacob, but then he gets thrown into a pit and sold into slavery in Egypt by his own brothers, because they are so jealous of him. So he ends up enslaved in Egypt, but quickly ends up becoming head of and running the household for a high-level official in Egypt. And he is so good at what he does, managing things, strategizing, organizing, that he's running this household for this man, carte Blanc, until this man's wife falsely accuses Joseph of rape. So now we get a new low point because Joseph is now thrown in jail. But Joseph, even in this moment, just keeps going onward, faithfully serving God, and ends up rising to the top, running the whole prison system. It eventually gets the attention of Pharaoh. A new high point occurs when Pharaoh elevates him to the second highest position in the land, prime minister of all of Egypt. Then Joseph is actually reunited with his brothers and his father after he forgives them unconditionally, begins providing for them. He also starts successfully storing grain in preparation for a great Famine that is going to strike the land. And in doing so, it gives Joseph the opportunity to save his brothers who betrayed him, to save his nation of Israel, to save the nation of Egypt, and all the nations of the world that now would have access to be able to purchase this grain back to an all-time low when his father dies. And so we pick up this moment in this passage. We know that um, through everything that Joseph went through and everything that was a living nightmare for Joseph, Joseph shows us what it looks like to keep moving onward, serving God faithfully, no matter what is going on, and then to go upward with God by trusting in God's promise that he would play a major role in God's big story to bless the world. Specifically, this was a promise passed down to Joseph from his great grandfather, Abraham, and it comes to us from Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, and God said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. This promise was passed down from Abraham to his son Isaac, and then it was passed down from Isaac to his son Jacob, and then it was passed from Jacob to his son Joseph. And from Joseph, we get the nation of Israel. And from Israel, as this promise keeps getting passed down, we get Jesus. And Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise that God will bless every human being on the planet. I want you to know that Joseph never lost sight of this promise, understanding that his life was to be a blessing to others even when his life looked like anything but a blessing until there was a big but in Joseph's life. But is one of my favorite words in the Bible. On almost every page of the Bible, you see the words, but God, but Jesus, but when God, but when Jesus. This simple term, but, captures the moment of God's powerful and mighty intervention. And in every difficult chapter in my life, it was these but God moments when God intervened that changed everything for me. And you are about to see that it is a but God moment and many of them that changes the ending of Joseph's story. And it comes to us from Genesis chapter 50. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show us his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. Can you feel it? Fear is just starting to set in for Joseph's brothers. They are sure that Joseph's favor is based only on expediency and their father being alive in order to keep the peace. This is not a reflection of reality. It's a reflection of their own hearts. They don't understand that their own perspective isn't God's. And they have completely lost sight of the promise that was passed down to them. That God wanted to bless them and use them to bring blessing in the world. So they missed the grace of this moment. So the brothers huddle together. They say, hey, 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 guys, come here, come here, come here. Let's do this. Let's send a fake message from the grave and try to pass it off as a message from our father to Joseph. The words I just read to you were a fake message. I want to see if you can tell because I'm going to read them again. This is what that message said in verse 16. So they sent this message, fake message, to Joseph. Uh, Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin is treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. This is a feeble attempt at trying to save themselves. This moment reveals years of misunderstanding between Joseph and his family members. This moment reveals years of anxiety and years of guilt that they had been living with. But even more, it reveals that they don't understand. They have a role to play in God's big story to bless the world because they are so focused on themselves and they are so focused on their own circumstance. Does that ever happen to you? It does to me. Because when fear and anxiety are in play, I am often tempted to be so hyper-focused on myself and my own circumstances that I completely forget that perhaps God's bigger story is unfolding, that God is trying to do something here in this moment that's bigger than me. So I want you to imagine Joseph holding that fake note, that fake message from the grave in his hand as his brothers are there before him making up all kinds of stuff, acting like they want to serve him and they're bowing down to him. And he knows it, and it grieves him. So let's continue in the story to see what happens next. When Joseph received the message, the fake message, that is, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me. He doesn't sugarcoat it. Yeah, you intended to harm me, but God, but God. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. God used it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. You intended to to harm me, but God used it all for good. What words would you use as you think about the things that you've experienced in your life, all that you've been through that's been hard or are going through right now? What words would you use? You lied to me, but God used it all for good. You fired me. But God used it all for good, you left me. But God used it all for good, you betrayed me. But God used it all, all of it, for good. All seems lost. And then we hear, but God, and God intervenes and God saves. This is the summary statement of Joseph's life. It captures the onward and upward trajectory of his whole life. It is the theme of the entire book of Genesis. But God is the story of every single follower of Jesus. So when we hear the words, you intended to harm me, but God used it all for good, intended it all for good, we think, oh, what a relief. God is intervening. God is doing something powerful in my circumstance. And it is tempting, is it not, to think that God's intervention is all for me and all for you, and it is. However, we are living in a story that is way bigger than me and way bigger than you. God's intervention isn't just so that you and I can feel comfortable. The point is, everything is being directed by God in our life to be used to go upward into God's big story to reach, restore, rescue, and bless the entire world with the love of Jesus. Now, I held on to these words over the years in my prayer to God, thanking him. God, thank you, thank you that this is true. Thank you that when this person intended to harm me, you intended it all for good. I held on, I was comforted, I was encouraged. Those words are deep in my heart. I didn't even have to memorize them because they have moved from here to here. I've claimed them so many times in prayer, but I need to tell you something. I never even noticed the rest of the sentence. Nope. Didn't even see it, but the rest of the sentence matters. So I want you to look at it. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. God's many interventions in Joseph's life, all of it, the good, the bad, and the ugly, were all used to get him to this position in order to save many lives. This points to God's purpose for Joseph in God's big story. This is what Joseph leaves behind at the end of his story that will outlive him. And I want you to know, I want you to understand, All of God's interventions in your life, all those but God moments. You were sick, but God healed you. You were discouraged, but God encouraged you. You were lacking in wisdom, but God directed you. You were left alone, but God came alongside you. All those moments are a link to this so that you also can say, This thing, this person intended to harm me, but God used it all for good to bring me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people with the love of Jesus. What are you leaving behind at the end of your story? What will your contribution be in God's big story? that will outlive you. I have a friend named Karen Barry. Karen is a member of this church, and she is so loved in this community, so highly respected. And Karen's contribution to her role in God's big story to bless the world emerged through a crucible of pain just like Joseph's. And there were many moments when her life looked like anything but a blessing. Her illness harmed her. It brought harm to her. Yep, let's not sugarcoat it. But God, oh yeah, but God used it all for good. To bring Karen to this position so that she could save the lives of many people with the love of Jesus. And I want you to hear about that from her. So I'm going to invite Karen to come up.
3: So Karen, I'm gonna knows I'm such a tearful person and then she's gonna introduce me to where I'm already tearing before I even get started.
2: <laughs> well, which you can see I'm crying. so that's okay. It's all good. A lot of weeping in this story, just so you know. But Karen, I know that God brought you through an incredibly difficult journey with an illness that God used, for you then to lead into creating prayer bowls and a prayer ministry. And I wondered if you'd be willing to talk about that.
3: Um, So many of you know my story, but um, about 14 years ago, right after our son was born, um, unexpectedly I got put in the hospital, and um, it was messy and difficult. And like Kathy said, when she was talking, just getting through each day was so challenging for all of us. Um, I ended up having to have an unexpected surgery. Um, It was all GI-related, and then I ended up with this um, infectious disease, and it really just snowballed. What we thought was a little bit of dehydration snowballed into um, me ending up with this ostomy bag. I didn't even know what one was, so it was just this crazy, thing. Um, I ended up with a blood clot in the ICU. I just got there and just spiraled downward. And we were praying and doing everything that we knew to do, but it didn't seem like it was getting better. Um, One day when I finally was supposed to be released, um, it almost seemed like if you were watching the movie, you would think there's no way this could be happening. I sent everybody away to go and watch our daughter, who was nine, in her ballet recital. Because you know, you learn something um, very humbling when you just get put in the hospital and kind of ripped away from your life. Life still has to go on, and it does go on without you. And the people who are there need to just take care of what needs to be done. And so it's this humbling experience that, although you're the mom, <laughs> It can go on, right? Um, So we had the five-week-old baby at home, Reagan, who's nine, and um, all of a sudden, all the lights go out in the hospital, and a car had hit into the transformer, and since I wasn't in the ICU rooms, I really only had the IV outlet that worked, no lights anywhere else. And so um, after I woke up, I'm like, something is wrong with me. And my whole arm was gray and huge, huge. And I'm like, this is not right. So I had to get up because the call buttons were not working. And it was hard for me to walk. I had not eaten in two weeks. I was skin and bones. It was hard for me to even move by myself. So when you were talking about that one baby step at a time, that was me. I go out in there, and I find a nurse. And she's like, oh my goodness but then nothing is working, no communication in the hospital. So I couldn't get a hold of anyone because I had told them all to go to the ballet recital. And I called Kathy Hill, who came and sat with me while we waited for them to see what was going on. And I ended up having a blood clot. So then I was rushed to the ICU. And in the ICU, you can't have your family there. And I know we have just gone through this year of people who have had loved ones in the hospital and not being able to be with them. But it's it's super hard. It's hard on the people in the room. It's hard on the people out of the room. Um, so that was the time where I felt like I had this quiet time to really pray. And I had this really intimate moment with God because I was so scared to fall asleep, thinking I'm not going to wake up. This is going to be it. And. Um, He did not say, you're going to wake up, Karen, go to sleep, you know, when I was talking to him. But I did hear him, and I felt him. And I just felt like I was in his hands. And he said, it's going to be okay. Whether you live or you die, you're with me, and I am with you. Mm. So it's this life-changing moment. And I really wasn't even going to talk all about this. So sorry that I'm I'm leading this way. Um, Anyway, so I think that from that moment on, that's what I craved. And I want other people to know it. And when you can just really just feel the hands of God holding you, then you have freedom and, um, you know, life's not about you at all. It's only about him and letting leading others to know him. So that's really not even how prayer balls got started. But I think that God put that moment in in my life so that I could be open and hear um, what's going on. So fast forward and about a year and a half, I was better and getting better. And I met this lady from Ocala, which I grew up outside of McIntosh near Ocala. And when I met her, she gave me a big hug and she said, I have been praying for you every day for over a year. And I was shocked. I did not know this lady. I had never heard of anyone that prayed for someone that they didn't know for over a year. Mm -hmm. And so I just had this wonderful conversation with her. And she had a bowl that her sister had made on the pottery wheel that she put by her table. And she would just write on slips of paper people's names. And she had heard my name. And then she kept asking her daughter And she kept hearing that I was still going through different treatments and surgeries, So my name stayed in her bowl. And she said every day that during her quiet time, she prayed for me, which is just amazing. So that was like in October. And then in December, I just started, I like, I'm crafty and I like to do things. So I started making some bowls with scripture and gave them to good friends who had been by our side through all of this. So Really, that's kind of how parables got started. If it was just up to me, that's where it probably would have ended because I was just happy doing that. But. Well, then I want to ask
2: you the next question then. Okay. So would you then describe what happened to your life and your faith when you chose out of all this to go upward
3: with God into his big purposes for your life? Yes, I would love to share that. So God definitely led it in from this spiral down into an upward way and he used so many people to do it, which I'm sure that all of you who have been through difficulties know, it's family and friends and that encouraging word and reading scripture and depending on God, which can just pull you out of the muck and help you start to move forward. And so Kathy Hill, who is here, said karen you should make some of these and sell them i'm having a home party everyone loves them come and bring some and then people bought them and then a little while later tom was seeing that people were asking for him, them and god used him and said this can go bigger this can go bigger and so through tom's encouragement through what god had led him to believe and what god had put in my heart then we got to start this business, and the goal was just for people to realize the importance of prayer, know the importance of connecting with God, and we wanted to share that with others, so it really kind of began that way, Um, but God doesn't ever stop there. He just keeps on, right? He keeps on asking us to get way out of our comfort zone, which is being even up here on stage. but someone put the idea of a weekly email into our heads and we said, yes, I think it's so important to be open and then say yes, if you think it's God's will. And now we get to do a scripture and a prayer every week and, and our database has gone over to 40,000 people. I don't even know how that is. It's, it's just amazing and it's really all God. It's all God. Um, and then we've started a blog and Kathy has done it for us. This past month was Matt Murphy telling about how he wrote the song, Jesus, I gave you my heart. It's just wonderful. So we've been, Tom and I have been so blessed to be led into this place where we can just share um, other people's testimonies and what God is doing in our lives and putting on our hearts with others. uh, I think Fitz said a couple weeks ago, to be blessed means that God's with you. And I just think we are so blessed because in our business every day, th- of course, it's ins and outs, and working with your husband, as you know, can have challenges. Um, <laughs> and in the fourth quarter might not have been the best time to invite me up, but summertime, when things are a little more um, uh, calm in the business, is good. Um, But we have such special moments now with these people. It is, we've gotten a three-page letter from someone who received a prayer bowl who said, I hadn't prayed and someone gifted me this and now my relationship with God is just back on track. And thank you so much. Mm. And it's just amazing. We get phone calls that someone just needs to talk and hear and pray together. Mm. Um, And so all of that is just, I can't believe it. I don't know how it is that God, you know, picked me up. That song, picked me up, spun me around, and put my feet on solid ground. I'm like, that's what I feel like. It was just this whirlwind. And then we sat back, and then he's just been like, here. And so we're just learning to say yes to what he calls us to do. And hopefully it just continues to be a blessing to others. Thank you, Karen. Oh my gosh.
2: God saw a Joseph in Karen, and he took all that pain and all that difficulty, and look what he did with it to bless so many lives because she said yes. But, well, friends, God sees a Joseph in you, and you may be in the pit, but your family needs a Joseph, a courier of forgiveness when they don't deserve it. Your descendants need a Joseph to pour into their lives faith to lead them to Jesus so that your children will come to know Jesus and then they will lead their children to Jesus and their children will lead their children to Jesus and your generation needs a Joseph because there's a famine out there and you get to be a harvest bringing hope. Say yes and jump up into God's bigger story because he is perfectly positioning you, using everything you've been through to save the lives of many with the love of Jesus Christ. Please pray with me now. Heavenly Father, I know that there are some people seated here this morning who just know there's a person, there's a moment that brought harm into their life. And so, Heavenly Father, I just pray with all my heart that you would help them to look at it squarely, honestly, yes, this person brought harm, this moment brought harm, but now, Lord, help them to move into the truth that you intended it all, even that hurt for good, you use it all for good, that's a miracle, that's a powerful intervention. That is a but God moment that we cling to. But Lord, help us to remember the rest of the sentence that you intervened so that we could go up with you being positioned by you to save the lives of many with the love of Jesus. Lord, open our hearts to step up like Karen did Say yes. Yes, Lord, I want to play a role in your story. Yes, Lord, use me. Use the ugly, use the good, use the bad, use the failures. Use it all so that others might come to know you. Oh, Lord, thank you. What a privilege. We can see the joy in Karen. Give us the courage to go up with you. Amen. And now just sing this song, the next few minutes of it, as your opportunity to say, yes, God, use me. I'm going upward with you. Use it all. Amen.
0: When darkness tries to roll over my bones When sorrow comes to steal the joy I brokenness and pain is all I know I won't joining us. We'll see you next time. Have a great day.